Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardawar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on today's podcast, we got a lot to cover. We got some what we've been watching to talk with you about, and then we're going to dive into two in-depth reviews. This week, we're going to review Marriage Story, which is out on Netflix right now, and Uncut Gems. Now, I know what people might be thinking, uh, all, all those of you who listen to the end of every week's Slash Homecast, last week we said that we'd be reviewing Uncut Gems this week, uh, but a lot of people pointed out that, hey, Uncut Gems actually is only playing in two theaters in the country this week, which I actually didn't know. I actually had read that it was playing wide, so uh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. And yep. uh, also that Marriage Story is something that is not, it, it feels like it's lived an entire uh, cycle, a media cycle in the last week. It's gone from a movie that was not out to then it became available on Netflix to then it became like memed about and uh, <laughs> like a really, really hot topic for a lot of people. Uh, and now probably people are tired about talking about it, which is why it's a great idea for us to review it today on the podcast. Yeah, that's what we do. We do. We talk about the movie that no one can see yet. And then the movie that everyone's sick of talking about. That's all right. in yeah. one episode. All in one episode right here on the Slash Filmcast. You can there, find there's more some like sort it. of relativistic uh, algorithm of culture speed <laughs> are, right now. We're, we are we're the, like in the middle of that. We are the edge bears in the Goldilocks. You know, <laughs> wow. we, we take the two edge seats. Yeah. That's right. Um, well, anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, so we have a lot to cover. Let's talk first about what we've been watching this week. This week, I had a chance to check out Six Underground, the newest film by Michael Bay. Now, I, I don't know what y'all had heard about this movie. Devinger, apparently oh, you heard I've it was I've seen bad. the trailer. I've seen the trailer. I've heard of this movie. Uh, I was really wondering why he was remaking a Sneaker Pimps song. Is that Sneaker Pimps? I don't know. Yeah. It's like a deep 90s cut. Um, but yeah, that 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 trailer looked like a mess. I'll probably watch it eventually. But I know you were you were just ready, Dave, as soon as oh, you saw yeah. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I watched this movie almost immediately after it went live on Netflix. And I was craving a low, kind of low-budget, more personal, tightly told story in the vein of like pain and gain. Uh, you know, that like I think that was Michael Bay's last good film, sure. in my opinion. Really good movie, yeah. Jeff Kanata, you have a you have an opinion on pain and gain? I never saw it. Oh. I never got a chance to see it. It's a yeah. solid you'd love it. It's a solid film. It, yeah. I think you'd yeah. actually appreciate it. Um mm. it's like when Michael Bay took a step back from like the kind of epic action movies uh and then he went to make, make pain and gain and it's like, oh wow, the guy can still make a really <laughs> well-directed kind of small thriller-esque story and that's the movie starring uh mark Wahlberg and the rocks uh, muscles right yep that's yes. correct yeah, sure. yeah. Sure. um it's about film. bros and their feelings but also a really like the rock doesn't really make many movies like that so yeah that, that's fascinating <laughs> so that movie came out in 2013 and then he made transformers age of extinction the uh, 13 hours movie and then transformers the last night uh after that and I was thinking, oh man, this is a return to form for Michael Bay. He's going to go back to kind of the, uh, you know, uh, fetishization of law enforcement officers that that kind of helped to define his career. But it's not going to be a Transformers movie. Really excited about that. I mean, this guy has been making Transformers movies since 2007. You know, it's for better or worse, it's come to define his career. And so <laughs> I was really excited that hey, maybe. 
because of the fact that it stars mostly humans and because of the fact that it's, you know, Ryan Reynolds, very charismatic guy. It's the guy who, the people who wrote Deadpool, uh, writing the script for this, like, maybe this is going to be like, like Michael Bay reined in again, you know, and maybe it's going to be like him uh, doing some exciting work, uh, on a smaller scale. Well, can I, uh, can I, can I wager a, a bet on wager, that? Wager, wager, Jeff. I'm going with no. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it just so happens you're absolutely correct. The movie cost $150 million, by the way. Um, yeah. So uh, a little bit wrong about the scale of it. And I would say, yeah, for the most part, it looks like it cost $150 million. Uh, this movie is completely incomprehensible. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I tweeted about it uh, after I saw the movie. I said, uh, Michael Bay's Six Underground is a two-hour-long car commercial, watch commercial, army commercial, Discovery Channel travelogue, and U.S. propaganda video all mashed into one. Only that without, like a Transformers movie. <laughs> only without the plot coherence and basic rules of filmmaking continuity that that description might imply. Oh, wow. Uh, and, yeah, I mean... it. it it is amazing how many rules of cinema that he breaks in, in the course of making this film. Uh, let's just go cover the plot of Six Underground real quick. Uh, the, yeah. the plot, uh, according to online, is uh, six individuals from all around the globe, each the very best at what they do, have been chosen not only for their skill, but for a unique desire to delete their pasts <laughs> to change the future, right? Mm. So it's these guys who are like ghosts. These guys are like ghosts, right? And... Uh, they have all been the the underground refers to the fact that they're all quote unquote dead. Like they've all like had funeral. They've all been like horrible accidents, quote unquote. They've all died, and uh, they've all had funerals, and all their family thinks they're dead. And so it's it's so they can kind of live, you know, uh, off the grid. You see, and mm-hmm. they they only refer to each other by numbers because Ryan Reynolds masterminded the whole group, and he does not want anyone to get too emotionally attached to each other. Uh, I'll, you, you can place bets on how well that goes during the course of the movie as well. That's because uh, no one's ever fallen in love with a number, right? Correct. That, no, that is. No I, one's I'm ever actually. In love, I'm no pretty one's sure that's fallen in love with a with a perfect ten. I, I'm pretty sure that is actually a line in the film. By the way, like no one's ever fallen yeah. in love with a number. Um, oh. And sure. uh, Ryan, Reynolds, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds plays one. Oh, Derek begs to differ. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds plays one and he is a billionaire who made his fortune off of magnet technology and uh, he recruits all these people and because he's a billionaire uh, he is able to like buy all these amazing guns and gadgets and vehicles and stuff like that uh, I guess it doesn't make that much less sense than Batman you know what I mean because it's like okay how could a billionaire live off the grid and no one recognizes him yeah. and like these massive transactions for all these weapons and uh, it really does it, show how dumb the idea of Batman is basically. <laughs> so good job if good there's job, one th- contribution to cinema Six Underground has made it is revealing how stupid Batman is that's correct um, <laughs> and I will say the first 20 minutes of this film is an extent it's like an extremely extended car chase sequence uh, and it takes place with uh I'll just describe the premise is like there's these two women in these amazing looking dresses in the backseat of the car with one of them trying to dig a bullet out of the out of the other one. And then, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds is in the front seat while David Franco is driving uh, and Ryan Reynolds is trying to scan a guy's eyeball into a phone to unlock 
uh, like all this important information on this phone. So he's using an eyeball because it's a a retinal scanner. He's holding an, an eyeball that's been ripped out of this guy's skull. And they're driving around, I think, Italy, right? Like high speed car chase scene in Italy. And that lasts for a good 20 minutes, that scene. And I will say, there are actually some pretty breathtaking visuals during the course of that scene. I mean, there's, there's one of the guys also does parkour. And uh, he's doing it you on gotta, the outside. You got to do the parkour. You got to do the parkour. Come on. It's actually like, some really good parkour. Like honestly, whenever uh, the guy, the parkour guy, wasn't on screen, I was like, "When is when are we going to see Poochie again? You know, when are we going to see the parkour guy? Because he's so cool." <laughs> um, and Poochie so loved this. that is the opening scene of the film. And honestly, y- you don't need to watch anything else. If you just sure. watch the first twenty minutes, you're, you've seen. What the movie has to offer, pretty much. <laughs> I, lo- um, I love that this basically sounds like Michael Bay's Irishman. This is the power of Netflix. Just the unfettered, you know, ego uh, of a filmmaker. Just let them go. Be they a genius or Michael Bay. So I always thought that Transformers was like Michael Bay Unchained. But it turns out that, like, this is Michael Bay even further Unchained. He doesn't even have the constraints of a Hasbro franchise to hold him down anymore in this one. <laughs> this is just pure Michael Bay id. There is zero attention played to paid to the plot. Um what is amazing is like uh film basic filmmaking continuity is violated uh, on a day to day, you know, like on a moment to moment basis. And what I mean by I that love is the idea that, that there was meetings with the Hasbro people where they're reining him in. I, I like the <laughs> yeah. idea that there's like, there's like the Hasbro guy, like holding a toy going, look, Michael, look, it can't bend that way. Look, <laughs> we need you to have less sex and violence in your films. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that's uh, basically what they, I, I think it's clear from watching six underground. That was the moderating influence that they had. And uh, filmmaking continuity. I mean, Michael Bay's filmmaking continuity has never been the strongest. You know, like filmmaking continuity, for those who don't know, is like when you're um, shooting a scene, it's important that when you cut back and forth from certain characters that if you're, uh, uh, you know, if they're sitting at a table and there's like a cigarette that's burning or uh, a glass full of water, you want that glass of water to stay roughly at the same level or you want that cigarette to stay roughly at the same length because you don't want to be distracted by the fact that we're watching you know, filmmaking and people doing these shots at different times. Like You want to be sucked into that illusion of what's going on, right? Uh, Michael Bay completely disregards any of those rules and instead makes up for it by sheer number of cuts and kineticism, <laughs> right? He's like, sure. he's hoping you will not mind you're always like, disoriented. You're yeah. always disoriented. So, like, I'll, I'll throw out a few examples. I'm actually going to think about making a video about this, but it's basically like, you know, there's a character who, like, jumps into a pool to hide at one point. Literally, the next time you see him, he's out of the pool, climbing up the side of a building, completely dry, right? Um, no explanation as to how that happened. Uh, at one point, a character, like, is driving a car, slams into another car. Then his car suddenly starts flipping and they're on a completely different street altogether. You know, like it's just like <laughs> basic things like that, that it's like, this sounds like a family guy, a uh, version of a Michael Bay action scene, like the chicken fight basically just going on and on, except that's well, coherent. The chicken, the chicken fight had like it. the chicken fight yeah. had continuity though, from scene to scene, like the, the basic rules are, are violated here. It's, it just doesn't. And then, and then to he, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't care. He's just throwing all these shots at you. 
I think uh, basic rules are for lesser filmmakers than Michael Bay. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, I think that like what we're really discovering is that the studio notes process has been actually it c- can be good sometimes because my guess is Netflix just handed him 150 million dollars and was like, "Hey, go to town, Michael Bay," and uh, Six Underground is the result. I can't say I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Are you not say, entertained? I like, can't this say I didn't you, enjoy right? it. I mean, yeah, there's some cool stuff with magnets that happen th- during the court, you know, at the end because I, I mentioned <laughs> that Ryan Reynolds is a magnet magnate, <laughs> a uh, magnet magnate. He's a magnet magnate, and uh, so you he's, know, you know, like what things 150 million dollars could solve in the world, <laughs> like just, yeah, you could man. buy like a whole state, like education, you know, like college education or something like that. College education. Instead, we water got, crisis. We got basically could, the like, opposite put some of that. Cash words at. Yeah, <laughs> we got basically the op- we actually took away people's education by uh, <laughs> showing them Six Underground. Like they they got dumber after watching it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had some fun with the movie. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, Do they actually it, say the line "magnet magnate" in it? Because no, it, that's that. another big downside of the movie. Is, oh come on, yeah. it's it's sitting right there. I don't know. I, I might have faded in and out of consciousness during the course of the film, so maybe they said it while I was passed out. But like, I uh, yeah, I they, I don't think they said anything that clever in, in the course of the movie. And I mean, yeah, the, I, I mean, just like it's it feels like the level of filmmaking of like Suicide Squad, if you remember that. Like for for example, like. There's one moment in the movie where they're like introducing the characters and, and he's like, hey, so Ryan Reynolds like recruits them all, right? And the character says, yeah, you know, I remember the first time I met Ryan Reynolds' character. He just shows up at the most weird times. Flashback to when this character met Ryan Reynolds for the first time. And then you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, then they're going to show the flashbacks to when all these other characters met him. Nope. Never happened. You know, like just like stuff that you're like, you think you understand about movies. Yeah. They're, they're uh, subverting the recruiting team montage. Yes. That's what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it's like Suicide Squad. It's like um, a lot of people saying it's like Michael Bay channeling Tony Scott, which I think is a very ch- uh, charitable way of looking at it. How dare you? Uh, so you're saying yeah. the movie about the people who you think are dead, but they're a team so that they can go and do cool stuff is a little bit like the movie about the people who are dead but they're a team, so they can go and do cool stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's that's correct. You're, you're talking about Suicide Squad right now, right? Yeah, Six yeah. Underground and Suicide Squad are just two different ways of saying the same thing. It's true. It's true. Uh, and well, see, both, and when they're the bad guys too, Jeff, and uh, oh, that made no sense whatsoever. So, right. yeah, uh, yeah. So, the, and they're both equally comprehensible, I would say. So, yeah. anyway, I, I don't know how much more I can talk about this movie without, you know, like I think you guys understand what I'm saying. The movie is Six Underground. It's on Netflix right now. I don't know if I I think you're saying is that it's going to be on your top 10 of the year list. (laughs) I mean, I'm strongly considering it. Um, My parents saw this movie and they called me and were like, this movie is hopeless. And my parents have very low standards for like (laughs) streaming entertainment. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this someday. Awesome. I also had a chance to watch Waves. This movie by uh, Trey Edward Schultz. Have you guys heard of this movie? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, it didn't do too well at the box office this weekend. But I just want to say that... Uh, and, and by the way, I'll say also that I feel like the trailer for this movie reveals extremely little about the film. Like, I had no idea uh, what the plot of this film was. And I'll just read like a, a quick snippet of the plot summary here. It says, uh, It is an epic, emotional journey of a suburban African-American family 
Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, I, I won't reveal what happens during the course of the film. I'll just say that this movie is uh, is very good. Um, Trey Edward Schultz is a filmmaker who makes movies that I feel are pretty uncommercial. Like the movies he's made are Krisha, It Comes at Night, which I think is a movie we all liked, right? Did we all like It yeah. Comes at Night? I think that was a little confusing because it was not what a lot of people expected. But yeah, it was also, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it quite a bit. And then there's this movie Waves as his third feature. Uh, and uh, without revealing anything about the plot, I'll say that what is great about this movie is uh, are, are the performances, uh, and specifically Calvin Harrison Jr., who plays one of the characters in – he's the son in It Comes at Night. He's great in both that movie and this movie. But the the breakout star of this film is Taylor Russell, who plays the daughter character in this family uh, in the movie Waves. I mean, I had no idea who this actor was before I saw – uh, waves. She was also one of the leads in Escape Room, actually, if you've seen that movie. And this is like performance is like a meteor that came out of nowhere and like destroyed my life. I mean, she is ridiculously good in this movie. Uh, and I think it's one of the best films of the year just because of the power of these performances. They're so good. They're dealing with emotions that are so raw. Uh, and uh, it's a shame more people aren't seeing it, but I think you should. It's on limited release right now. The movie is Waves, uh, and it will devastate you. That's the other thing. I, I, I think that's been a running theme on the podcast the last few weeks. Right. Is uh, We've been talking about devastating movies. Every Oscar contender that we see this season is basically like, we'll rip your heart out. So it, I've gotten uh, used to it. Honestly, Yay. it reminded me a little bit of Requiem for a Dream, to be honest with you. Yeah. Which is like oh, a man. movie that would like kind of destroyed me and... Um, but it's, it's also like a pretty slow paced movie. Requiem for a dream. I feel like is pretty deliberately paced and like the, the, the levels of tragedy build upon each other. And, uh, Requiem for a dream is very extreme and it deals with drug use and there's very little of that in waves, but it's just like, you kind of see where this train is going. You kind of see that it's going to collide with something. You don't know exactly where or how it's going to happen. Um, but it does. And when it, it, when that happens, it's, uh, it's pretty upsetting and, uh, you know, you, you need to have the right frame of, uh, of mind to go into a movie like this. Um, sounds like I'm watching six underground, (laughs) (laughs) the movies waves. And again, big shout out to Taylor Russell and Kelvin Harrison Jr. Putting in two of the best performances of the year. Taylor Russell, she is going to be a star. I mean, I, I think based on this movie, uh, she is incredible in this movie, and, and it is worth watching it just to see Taylor Russell in this film. That is what I have to say about it. Okay. Uh, and I just want to give a quick shout-out to Last Black Man in San Francisco. That's a movie that uh, Devendra shouted out last week on Devendra's recommendation. I went to go see it. Uh, okay. it's, it's streaming yeah. right now on Prime Video. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I think it's very good. I think you're right, Devendra. It's basically about the impacts of gentrification and what we lose in that process. And um, I think there's it's very uh, kind of weird style of filmmaking. I haven't seen a film It's very like it. Spike Lee. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's sort of like a modern Spike Lee thing, yeah. Very Spike Lee. Very, portions are very surrealist. And, uh, but overall, I think it's, it's unique and, and, and worth checking out and certainly very relevant in this day and age. That's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's on Prime Video right now. Um, all right. Uh, Devendra. Why don't we go to you real quick and then get to our first sponsor? Sure. I just wanted to briefly mention uh, the season finale. I guess this entire season of Watchmen on HBO. And uh, just have to say, they they did it. 
they <laughs> knocked it out of the park like Dame Lindelof and his writing staff and everybody like I think a lot of people were worried that he couldn't quite pull off this uh, this sort of like crazy retelling well not retelling but this crazy like direct sequel to the Watchmen comic because this show goes places it does some wild things and I'm sitting here waiting until Jeff sees it and just like starts screaming uh, <laughs> over what happens because there's some major spoilers floating around Jeff and I don't know how you're surviving here uh, but it is uh, it's incredible it's incredibly well written and um, I love that thematically he really brought home what I guess some of the broader themes from Watchmen, but also like modernize them to something that's more relevant today. Uh, there's a lot of talk about like, I don't know, like people who have powers and the responsibility they have with those powers. I found that really interesting around the finale. Uh, the show can also be weird and wild, like so much of the leftovers and even lost at times. Uh, I am definitely tired of hearing people whine about uh, the ending of lost or how lost treated them. Uh, I was right there. I was along for that ride. I was frustrated by Lost. Uh, I, I liked the finale in the last season. But I think The Leftovers proved, um, you know, that Damon Lindelof writing something and, you know, building a show that's a little more focused and that isn't like 24 episodes per season, he can craft something a little more interesting. Leftovers is one of my favorite TV shows ever made. And right now, Watchmen is right up there. So I am just very glad this all, you know, he was able to pull it all off. We don't even know if there's going to be a season two. And I, Honestly, that's fine. It's fine if he just backs away from this because it is a perfect uh, bit of television. Uh, I really liked Watchmen as well. I finished the uh, final episode last night, all nine episodes. Um, and yeah, it's very good. He stuck the landing. He stuck the landing. Uh, did. Wasn't, wasn't the perfect ending. There were still a bunch of like loose ends to tie up, I think. And I, I do think like there was like, it's a thing where he's introducing mysteries up until almost yeah, near yeah, the yeah. end. Were you a PDPedia reader, Dave? Um, no, I wasn't. I think like I so, feel like shows should yeah. stand on their own without you needing to do they homework. They should. They should. But the PDPedia yeah. was this weird thing where it was like the chronicles of the FBI, one of the FBI agents in the show, just like his like uh, the notes, the reports he would send back, and it was just like little tidbits. I think it's that's a it's a good accessory for the people who watch shows and want everything to be something like a uh, freaking Westworld, like a puzzle to be solved in all the pieces. I think thematically. And character-wise, the show stands on its own. But if you're like, what happened to that one dude who went into that one thing? Where Where's that guy? Um, I've, I, it's an interesting way to like wrap up some of those loose ends, I think. So I don't, I don't mind that. The people who want to dive into that stuff really can. And people like me, like I like it. I, I will look at it occasionally, but I'm not. My enjoyment of the show is not dependent on how I solve the puzzle or you know how enjoyable the puzzle is, basically. Yeah, uh, and I think the the show did a great job of modernizing uh, the themes of the original comic book. You know, what what yeah. are the biggest menaces we're dealing with today? It's no longer the Cold War, right? It's white supremacy and racism in many of our institutions. At least that's one of our big challenges. Yeah, yeah, and, and it goes the... straight at it, and that is <laughs> yeah. that is wild. It is yeah. just like from the beginning, it just never lets up. And got to give him credit for that, and uh, you know, bringing in. Uh, writers of color too to kind of help flesh out that season because if it was just Damon Lindelof uh, doing that uh, I'm not sure if it would have been so textured and so interesting so there's there's so much going on in the show I love it so much I think one of my favorite things about him talking about the writers room is mm -hmm. uh, this is like a very like I'm I'm gonna be as vague as I can but but basically if you haven't seen so if you like want to avoid anything just skip forward by a few seconds but um, basically. He, he retcons Watchmen so that yep. one of the characters in the Watchmen comic is black, 
right? And he explores mm-hmm. the implications of what that means and why that character was black, and, and you know, like why one would think that that character might be black, and then why that turns out to be true, and so on. And I remember hearing an interview with him where he basically said that uh, when he was doing this, uh, he wanted people in the writers' room who maybe didn't agree with him. Like he, he he's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm gonna make the, you know X character a black character. And there's a bunch of people who are like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. Yeah, let's totally do that. And he did not hire those people. You know, like he wanted people to be like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Or maybe there's like a lot of problems with that. And I just thought that was a really interesting way of of going about it. Is that like you actually sure, want yeah. people to like say why you're wrong and then like see if you two can come together to make something better uh, or more thoughtful than what you would have before. Um, I really admired that. And, you know, people can have varying opinions about whether he actually uh, did a good job this season. I personally think that he and all the people from the writer's room killed it. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I I think he tried to be as thoughtful as he could, and that may or may not be enough. Uh, But in in my book, uh, this was a really towering work of television, and it deserves to be watched. So that's Watchmen on HBO. All right. Hey guys, uh, I had my earphones out through all of that because I'm really <laughs> far behind. Uh, but while I was sitting there by myself, alone, in the quiet, I remembered something that I wanted to say at the very beginning of this episode. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm real dumb. Uh, and <laughs> there's new and uh, oh. ongoing evidence of my my stupidity i remember oh, yes boy. yes i'm glad we're addressing this <laughs> so last week yeah. i uh made a big deal about talking about the morning show yeah uh, because i had you know finished the season <laughs> and yeah, i also you made finished a big the deal season. yeah 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 I, I made a big deal about how uh, it was odd that the last episode and did the way it did because it and, felt like this yeah. real departure from the very avant garde. Yeah. And, and yeah. Jeff, and Jeff, let me tell you, let me tell you, when you said that, okay, I, I'm not following the morning show, but when you said, hey, it was weird that the morning show ended with a flashback episode, I, David Chen, thought to my on the air while we were recording, I thought to myself, wow, that is odd. I mean, I've seen <laughs> many TV shows and many, like many TV shows, I'm thinking like The Shield, I'm thinking, um, uh, Escape from Danamora, you know, are you gonna, like are you going to list all the TV shows you've seen? <laughs> no, 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 many I've TV sh- many TV shows. Many Here's TV shows list. have like a backdoor pilot in like episode 8 or 9 of a specific season, right? Like right. second to last episode, third to last episode, they'll like flash back in time and show you like, "Oh, here's all the stuff that happened before the main events of the show." And so, as you were saying, I'm like, wow, that is so weird. Because I could understand if the morning show had a flashback episode, like, right before the end. But for it to be the final episode to end on a flashback, that's just, A, extremely daring, and B, very weird. But you know what? Uh, It's Jeff Kanata. I trust him completely. Why would Jeff lie or be wrong about something extremely (laughs) obvious, like, when a show is going to end? Right, right. And, and right. you know, kudos to you for, for trusting me for the first time ever in the history of the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, uh, it was a bad time, it turns out, to oh, do that. Oh, really? Was it? Because I am uh, a profoundly dumb person, it turns out. Does and it? Uh, it wasn't the end. There's two more episodes this season. Oh, and okay. okay. In, you know, if, if I have but a tiny bit of defense, in, in, <laughs> just speaking to my own defense, just the tiniest bit, uh-huh, uh-huh. having said several times now how just real dumb i am yeah uh-huh 
this is literally the first show I've watched on a brand new streaming channel. Uh huh. And so I, I, I guess it just wasn't clear to me how their system works, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, it, it did. It just didn't seem obvious that there was going to be more. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just felt like. <laughs> It felt like uh, that was the last one, and uh, and we, you know, and and said, you know, here we're going to transition you to a different show now. And I know that they're releasing them not all in a bulk. I mean, I know now that they're not. Uh, so you know, Mia culpa. Uh, but there's it's, two it's more just episodes. As, it's just as amazing because you were so sure about it, you know. Mm, Unless yeah. you see, you were so sure. You're like. Well, it was eight episodes. I figured, hey, why not take a chance on this? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. this this man, this sounds like a man who's researched how many episodes he, there are yeah. in this show, right? Yeah, you'd think. You'd think. I did think. You'd think he wouldn't broadcast that kind of information to literally thousands of people. I, I would actually say it's tens, sure. of, it's tens of thousands, actually. Oh, tens it's... Of, it's, it's it's more than enough to fill a football stadium. That people listen to this podcast right now. In the yeah. words of David Chen, it's dozens of thousands of people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you'd think that I wouldn't uh, want myself to look quite that dumb in front of quite that many people, but you know, you'd be wrong because uh, I did it. Well, I hope you enjoy the last two episodes of of the morning show, which are not flashback episodes. I assume. So I assume that too. But you know, I'm never going to watch them because to me, the show's over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. In your head, I'm it's just over. Kidding. We'll probably watch them. Speak, yeah. Speaking of things that aren't uh, offensively dumb, let's talk mm-hmm. about our first sponsor, Jeff. Eight Hours is our sponsor, and it has never been a better time to be a lover of film. We have access to the world of movies and TV like never before. Likewise, the past several years have seen an explosion of film lovers sharing their thoughts, research, and analysis of movies and TV through beautifully crafted video essays that aim to teach, share, and inspire. 8hours.com has organized over 6,000 of these videos into an extensive database for you to explore a variety of content on specific movies, directors, genres, and most importantly, filmic concepts from as broad as cinematography and directing to as specific as videos on lenses and blocking. If you're like me, you love finishing a movie and immediately searching online for scene breakdowns, analysis, and interviews with the filmmakers. Well, search no further. Whether you're a filmmaker or a film lover, 8hours.com has made it easier than ever to find the information and inspiration you're looking for. Tuition free! Let's explore the future of film education and discussion together at 8hours.com. That's the number 8, H-O-U-R-S.com. For film lovers. All right. Uh, before we move on to our review of Marriage Story, we got to thank all the people who donated to the show. Thanks to user Joe Fox for donating at the rate of $2 per month and subscribing to us there. Uh, thanks also to Hendrik Ising from Germany for his donation. And uh, got a couple messages to read this week from some donors. Tina Shin writes in, Tina Shin, a, a uh, slash filmcast listener I've met in real life. She's supported several of the shows I've been doing. Um, big fan of hers. She writes in, Hi, Dave, Jeff, and Devendra. Thanks so much for putting on such a great podcast that I love listening to every week. And a special thanks to Dave for walking me through the purchase of my new LG OLED TV. Now I have a TV that deserves to play the Halo jump scene from Mission Impossible Fallout. 
Although I recently watched Chernobyl, and that was something I probably didn't need to watch on this TV. <laughs> Hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season. I'm looking forward to your various top movies of the decade list and your reviews of the Oscar movies. Um, so that's from Tina. And uh, so I, I had a chance to hang out with Tina a few months ago, and we met in Seattle. And um, we were talking about how like Mission Impossible Fallout had just come out on, uh, on home video. And it looked like garbage on a non-OLED TV. Like, if you watch it on an LCD TV, like, there's Mm -hmm. so many scenes that take place at night in that movie, and you want, like, the Halo jump sequence from Mission Impossible to look amazing. You need a good, like, LCD TV. Inky Blacks. You want Inky Blacks. You want the Inky Blacks, blacks, uh, which you can get on an LG OLED TV. Uh, where which, where is our check LG? Like LG <laughs> owes us something for yeah. every one of these recommended but sales. Also, yeah, Dave, my understanding is the process of you walking someone through the purchase of a OLED TV <laughs> takes two and a half years. Yeah, that's no, that's uh, this is the culmination of a massive effort. Uh, is this donation? So, anyway, thanks Tina for that great message. Uh, we also have a special birthday shout-out to longtime listener Mandy in Oakland, California. The Slash Homecast would like to wish you a great 2020 with your husband, Quincy. Merry Christmas and happy birthday to Mandy in Oakland. Okay, thanks also to Ryan Pauly for giving us a massive donation. He writes this message. Uh, hey, Slash Homecast, longtime listener, first-time caller. Your podcast has always been the bright part of my week, from listening to discussions about the cultural relevance of Avatar to discovering some of my favorite shows and movies through your what, what you've been watching sec- recommendations, to laughing somehow every time at Jeff's, well, Dave... I just wanted to donate to thank you guys for bringing such a quality podcast to us every week. I'm a filmmaker, and funny as it sounds, one of my personal goals is to one day make a feature that David, Devendra, and Jeff would watch and discuss on the podcast. My new short film is an action comedy called Pizza Time. It's about a legendary pizza delivery driver who stumbles into the scene of a hitman's contract killing. I made it as my first foray into action cinema, a genre I love very much. I think Jeff would get an extra kick out of the fact that my friend Eric Jacobus, who plays the hitman in the short, did the combat motion capture performance for Kratos and Balder in God of War. Anyways, if you, have an extra ch- if you have an extra 10 minutes, I'd be incredibly honored if you guys checked it out. PizzaTimeShort.com. Wishing you three and your families the happiest of holidays. That's from Ryan Pauly, who writes in about pizzatimeshort.com. Uh, we will try to check that out, Ryan. And thanks so much for yeah. listening and for your Very generous cool, donation. Congrats on making something. It's hard to make a thing. It is and hard to make a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is uh, to be admired. And thanks to Ryan for the, for the donation. Of course, if you want to donate to us, you can always do so at paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you do have some extra cash and you want to throw it our way, paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash word filmcast. Of course, you can only support us for $0 by going to uh, the Apple podcast listing for the slash filmcast and leaving a review for us or even a star rating. It takes like three seconds to do it. Uh, it really does help because I don't know if you know this. There are a lot of other film podcasts out there. So uh, don't that's tell them that. That's how you can support us for free. Thanks again for all of our donors this week. Uh, a lot of people donate a lot during the holidays. I think the holidays are a time to reflect on what we've been given. And it's also a time to reflect on what we want to get out of our lives, which leads us to our review of Marriage Story. <laughs> That's a segue. Wow. Nailed it, guys. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> What I love about Charlie. Loving you. 
He loves being a dad. It's almost annoying how much he likes it. A little too long. He cries easily in movies. I cried four times. Me too. He's very competitive. What's this? Who owns Baltic Avenue? He's very clear about what he wants. He's a great dresser. He never looks embarrassing, which is hard for a man. He takes all of my moods steadily. He doesn't make me feel bad about them. He rarely gets defeated, which I feel like I always do. We should talk. Okay. That was from the trailer for Marriage Story, the newest film by writer-director Noam Baumbach. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Noam Baumbach's incisive and compassionate look at a marriage breaking up and a family staying together. This is a slash film cast. And I, I think, you know, we, we were moved to review this because I think I, I saw that Jeff had seen the film at my recommendation, I assume, Jeff, uh, on that. On yes, that of course. Right? You tweeted yes. about it. And then I saw a flood of messages in the Slack Filmcast at slackfilmcast.com. Basically, people saying, oh, man, I hope they're reviewing Marriage Story. Nope, they're reviewing Uncut Gems, a movie that I cannot see. So I was like, you know what, guys? Let's try to make it a double review. So that's what we're doing. Um, And I think probably more people will have seen Marriage Story this week than will have seen Uncut Gems. But I hope people have a chance to enjoy both of them. Uh, All that being said, Devendra, why don't we start with you? Uh, what has been your opinion on Noah Baumbach movies in the past, and what did you think of Marriage Story? Oh, I've you know I've enjoyed some of his work. There's there's certainly some things like I'm not a big um, trying to think what, what was he all of his movies kind of run together for me. The one about the family, Squid and the Whale, uh, Squid and the Whale, Squid yeah. and the Whale. Um, I feel like something like Squid and the Whale felt really abrasive to me and hard to like really. I, I had a hard time like latching onto those characters, and I also feel like. A lot of his films just come through a very like, you know, like white upper middle class perspective that I can't always jive with. It's it's fine. It's his thing. It's just not always for me. Um, I think some of his more recent movies have been more interesting, certainly like um, like Francis Ha. I, I feel like that's a great film. Uh, so Marriage Story. I was regretting. I, I was avoiding this movie, I think, for a while because. Uh-huh. Looking at the trailer, looking at what it's about, looking at who it's coming from, I know for certain it would make my heart hurt, basically. So congratulations, movie. Thank you, Slack Filmcast, for putting us through this movie. It is it's an excellent movie, but it uh it, it tore my heart apart. It's also it's especially hard to um or especially meaningful because we're seeing this movie starts with this family, you know, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson and their child living this great like artistic almost bohemian lifestyle in New York. Um it is very much like the dream lifestyle I think for a lot of people in Brooklyn. Uh in fact their subway stop is not too far from me. Every like all the opening scenes is just like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm I'm there. That's that's the tennis court I pass every day. Um, so it's a lot funny, of those. The things. LA scenes yeah. are that for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it all it all kind of hit close to home. I was like, okay, I, I, I could take this. Um, I found it really insightful and really interesting. I, there are so many films about the process of divorce, I think, and this one goes about it in a really like humane and empathetic way. And um, yeah, both sides aren't always right. I think there's like a, we can argue this in spoilers. I think there's 
certainly a side that does not come down well on Adam Driver's character uh, ultimately. But uh, what's interesting is both perspectives are valid, even if somebody is more of a jerk than another. And the the responses to this whole situation, the way they go through it is all so very humane. Uh, yeah, I love this thing. It hurt my heart. Thanks a lot. Jeff Kanata. Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on the marriage story are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Mm, th- that surprises me because a limerick feels kind of lighthearted for a movie of the subject mm. matter. But mm. you're, you're we'll full see. of surprises, though, I guess. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see, what, we'll see how you think after the next five lines. <laughs> 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 you don't need to be wearing a ring for this film to be deeply moving. It's exquisite and true and relatable, too, because it's about the death of something. Mm. Oh, love right. it. All right. Poignant, Jeff. Poignant. Yeah, on the cover. Yeah, hey, on the cover of the Netflix. Yeah. Don't don't judge the lyric by its form, baby. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a flexible. It's a flexible. Uh, D- don't hate the form. player. Hate the game, you know. <laughs> uh, I so. It's not a very popular thing to say these days, but. I was formed filmically uh, by falling in love with the films of Woody Allen. I love them. I still love them. I know it's, you can't say these things anymore, but I still love them. I still, I love the aesthetic of his movies. I mean, I think you can say them because you just said them, but you know. I said them, but most people won't. Um, But (laughs) I, I I love the way his characters talk. I love the way those movies are shot. I love how it's long takes and wide shots and uh, they're like plays and they're showcases for actors and they're, you know, they're about New York and they're about this life that I never lived, but I always fantasized about living Uh, this, you know, like individual was saying, this very bohemian artistic, um, you know, know, I, am a, I love theater. I have done a lot of stage work, uh, not lately because I had kids, but, uh, but that's the life that, you know, I, I always sort of um, fantasized about. And I think Noah Baumbach, for me, is that also. And I think Devendra rightly points out some sort of problematic things that go along with that. But I still love it. I still fantasize about that world and that life and those things. And I love his movies. I love his movies. I I talked when, you know, we talked last year about the Meyerowitz stories and um, I love that movie. I think While We're Young is probably one of my favorite films of the last five years. Oh, yeah, um, we reviewed that. That was great. Yeah, I love that. movie. I love that movie. Um, and that movie is about be- getting old and sort of not, you know, recognizing that you're not part of a young generation. And this movie, you know, it's interesting. I think Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are amazing in this. But I, I kind of feel like they're both too young for this Subject matter. I, I kind of wish they had a little bit older actors playing these roles, um, but that's a minor quibble to what yeah. I think is just a incredible movie and incredibly moving. Go ahead. So, to what you're saying, Jeff, I do feel like a lot of films about divorce are about those like forty something characters, right? Or the kids yeah. are at a at a high school. The kids are at the house. Like it's a very it's a very it's another stage of their life and now they're thinking of the end and it's like oh we don't actually like each other let's split up to me the idea of this like you know 30 something family very vibrant very apparently successful from the outside and happy um splitting apart makes it 
even more like impactful to me at least. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, Dave, we talked about this movie last week. I think it was that, uh, you really warned against watching it with my wife. You said it was not a movie, you know, that you would recommend doing that for. And I took your advice and I started watching it and 20 minutes (laughs) in, I paused it. I got up and I went and got my wife and I said, you got to come in and watch this with me because I think this movie, I mean, I understand that you would describe it, Devendra, as being brutal. And I understand, Dave, you would describe it as being a um, hard thing to watch as a couple or, or you know, you're seeing something that couples kind of don't want to think about played out in, in really grim detail. And the you know, as, especially when the movie gets into the process of divorce, it is very mm-hmm. harsh. But I think it's a movie about love. I think it's a movie about the beautiful things. I mean, it's a movie that begins with a list of the things that they like about each other. And those... I'm just flashing the the potential spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert to well, you, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, fair enough. But I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you completely. It is a movie but I think that, that that wraps up where the movie goes. Yeah. No, I, I don't mean to talk. I, I just mean that, like that. I don't think that is ever lost. Like yeah. these are people that love each other throughout the whole movie. No they, matter it's how just, like it's hard, like how much they fight. Right. Like I think yes, that was kind of, it's, yeah. and it's a movie, it's kind of a movie about hope. Like the, it's a movie about making the decision that you can be happier apart, but still have a life together. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I found it, moving and beautiful in a very hopeful way. It, yes, it's dark. Yes, there are scenes of brutality, verbal brutality. And, and uh, you know, these people clearly uh, have done things to each other that you wouldn't want to do in a, in, a, in a marriage that you would want to last. But they're also, it just feels very true and very honest. I mean, there's a there's a specific sequence that maybe I should wait for spoilers for that I that I'd like to reference, but I I don't know I I lo- let me talk just sort of in general about this film. I love how this movie is expressed. I think this is the and it's funny we just did the eight hours ad and and blocking was referenced. I think this is the best blocked movie I have seen yeah. all year. It there's is, one Scarlett Johansson scene that is just like the art of blocking her oh, when she's walking the monologue, out of the room. right. Yeah, yeah. The moment when she goes into the bathroom and she comes out, but every sequence is like that. There's the, the the big argument scene that plays down the hall and into the room, and he's folding clothes, and then they come back. Like every scene is blocked like a play. It's blocked with movement and business, and there is the camera is just capturing life. It's not it's not staged like a movie. It's staged like life, it, messy and. Uh, complicated and the way our brains work, which is like, I'm having this discussion, but I'm also doing six other things because that's what we do as humans. You don't just stand there and talk to each other. You're like, especially in a marriage, you're like doing housework and futzing with crap. And like, it is, it's so wonderful how that is captured in this movie and how people communicate and, and, and move. And the, the dialogue is just so rich and beautiful and all of the performances. I mean, every single side character, I think if I had to pick a list of my favorite actors of all time, it'd be hard to find anybody that 
goes above Alan Alda. Um, I, I just I think he's a genius and he's amazing in this like a small role. But there's so many just great Laura Dern's amazing in this movie. Uh, it, it's I mean, Scarlett Johansson is delivers this monologue. It's a tour de force monologue. Uh, Adam Driver is amazing. The, all the interactions with the kids are amazing. I, I mean, I watched the first uh, half an hour twice <laughs> because I brought my wife in and we started again from the beginning. And I was picking things out. I mean, I would love to watch this movie again. I was picking things out of the framing that communicate wonderful mm-hmm. little things, especially in the opening montage where you don't really know who these people are yet, but stuff is communicated in the backgrounds of shots. And it, it's this is an amazing movie that you don't get to see very often these kinds of like brutally honest raw examinations of people rubbing up against each other in all of the messy ways that we do in life and coming out of it i found it very hopeful i found it i I mean i was weeping but i but in a it didn't destroy me in the way like a requiem for a dream did right right right. you know it it really does it's i it's it's about death, the death of of a relationship, but death can be very beautiful, and and it's about appreciating what that thing that was alive that is no longer alive, but what it was, and and I I love this movie for that. To quote another Darren Aronofsky movie, "Death is the road to awe," perhaps. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I totally feel a lot of what you're saying there, Jeff. Um, and let me just revise something I said. You know, I said you shouldn't watch this with a loved one. Uh, I don't uh, – th- th- that was too strong. That was too strong. I would say uh, it's fine to watch it with a loved one. Just be prepared for it to create a lot of feelings and a lot of, like, conversation afterwards. And then and then that's – you know, that's fine if you're ready for that. Yeah. If um, your screening of Midsummer together did not go well, uh, maybe then. <laughs> maybe, sk- maybe then. Skip this out. one. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's totally fine to watch with, with a loved one and, and it's very thought provoking and there's a lot to discuss. Um, all right. I mean, I have a lot to say about it as well, but I, I think we should move to spoilers before we get to it. And before sure. we do that, why don't we talk about our next sponsor feels Devendra? Sure. So, you know, I have anxiety. I, I deal with a lot of stress in my life between babies and work and, uh, uh podcasting so much stuff. So I have been using feels to help me uh, chill out a bit. And it's a CBD product. It can help you out with anxiety, chronic pain, trouble sleeping, things like that. Uh, It's premium CBD that's delivered directly to your doorstep. And it helps to naturally reduce stress, anxiety, all those things I was talking about. Like it is one of those things I enjoy using, especially before I have to do some work at night. I take a few drops under my tongue. It's a really nice chill out thing. It's like an instant chamomile tea. It just instantly relaxes me. Uh, Feels offers human support. Uh, There's a hotline and text messaging support to help you figure out what type of CBD you may want to get and what type of dosage. And uh, yeah, the best part is that it helps you feel better naturally. So join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. And you'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. And you've probably heard news about CBD. I'm just going to read the statement from the Feels website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates food and drugs, not supplements like this product. This product is not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. We'd suggest if you have any questions, talk to your doctor. I'm very happy to find feels because it's like good, high-quality stuff that I can trust and comes right to my door. So feels has me feeling my best every day. It can help you, too. 
Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off automatically your first order uh, and free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. And that is the character slash then filmcast. All right, let's get to spoilers for Marriage Story starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Is a spoiler to say this movie is very funny? <laughs> I don't think so. But it is... Very, very funny at the same time that it is like devastating, and that's uh, that's okay balance. I appreciate that. I agree. You remember during the course of uh, my discussion about this, I talked about how um, I really appreciate the set dressing in this movie. I feel mm-hmm. like the set yeah. dressing is excellent. I mean, the the it really hit me hard when you're in the lawyers' offices. You compare like Laura Dern's office. With right. Ray Liotta's gorgeous, office, like with, corner office, yeah, yeah. it's gor- you know like minimalist corner office with like Ray Liotta's office where like everything is made of oak, uh, and then Alan Alda's office where it's like he's basically using like a plastic table, like folding table or whatever for office his office like, in an alley, basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's just like wow, what a way to communicate, you know, character and who th- these people are with just the set. I mean, it's I just yeah, thought yeah, yeah. that that part was brilliant. Um, and it's probably obvious, but it's like when Adam Driver's character gets the L.A. apartment and it's just like this dead, empty thing with like, you know, the furniture that came with the apartment. Like it is it looks terrible, doesn't look like a home. And it's like just as empty as his soul, basically. But it but, is. Yeah, it's all the conveyed whole sequence there. with the woman watching them and cutting <laughs> himself. And oh, like, man, oh, it's just so brutal it's it is like from a comedy though you know yeah. that's that's yeah. when he's bleeding and, and she's like are you gonna take care of that he's like, I'm, I'm totally fine i'm totally fine and then like you know that transitioning into him you know trying to treat himself and trying to reach the paper towels on the other side while still running water on his hand it's just it's very relatable but, but and funny but also how know. did that how did he yeah get better from that that seems like a pretty bad cut <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'll say that uh, Martha Kelly, by the way, plays the woman who is his uh, like social worker, and yeah. she is brilliant in the show Baskets. Uh, yeah, she with, is. Uh, <laughs> with Zach Galifianakis. So, just a shout out to Martha Kelly. Always great to see her in something. Um, but uh, yeah, love that sequence that you're you're talking about, Jeff. And it's it's just it's painful. You know, the awkwardness is painful, yeah. and that's that's a lot of what drives uh, much of this film. I want to talk a little bit about the sort of just to illustrate my point about blocking. Um, there's a scene that you might not even think is very showy in this regard, but to me, it is the perfect exa- example of why this movie is so special with regard to the to the blocking. And that is there's a there's a scene where she is a, is going to serve him his his papers, serve him his divorce notice. Yep, and. It is in, we're in a, this small kitchen in her mom's house and she's prepping everybody and the camera's just sort of perched there. We're watching her, the, the, the sister's coming in and out, very nervous. The camera's kind of swiveling around, you know, catching the sister come in and out of that hallway. We don't know what's happening down there, but we assume the kids are, you know, ha- you know need to be tended. There's a, some urgency outside the room that 
adds to the sense of tension about what's going to happen. And then we get to see through the window, Adam Driver come out. He's very casual coming in. And then all of the stuff that happens between Adam Driver coming in yeah. and giving him actually the divorce papers. He gets a chicken and then it's like, it's yeah, yeah, so good, man. It's so pedestrian and everyday, but it's also like, there's this looming threat of him seeing the papers on the <laughs> table. And there's one moment where he like glances right at it and then just doesn't see it and keeps going. And it's, it's, it's just oh, perfect. It's perfect. It's like a thriller, almost this mini little thriller about what's going to happen when he sees this, these divorce papers and then how it actually happens where he's sort of gobsmacked, but like doesn't react in an, uh, in a histrionic way. He doesn't go over the top. He just sort of like goes, Oh, Oh, what's this? And the way that all of that playing out, the way that's all blocked and her coming in and out and all the characters moving through it. It's just, I think masterclass mm -hmm. in in presenting that kind of moment in blocking yeah. that kind of scene. And and that, that's just one tiny example. This movie's full of that. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like every scene is like that. Like the, that's a great character moment too, because it's like he strolls in this house is like his home, right? He, he jumps into the fridge. He's like, Oh, if I, if I were just visiting my in-laws house, I, I probably wouldn't even go into the fridge and be like, start cutting up a rotisserie chicken. Cause I'm hungry. <laughs> but he um, seems to have a better asked. relationship with her mom yeah. than she does. You know, she does. He's, he's really at home there. He's really comfortable there. He's yeah. like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start eating this chicken. Don't even need a plate. I'm just going to eat out of this, uh, this rotisserie thing. Right. It's fine. And then his realization when he realizes that, Oh, he can't even stay there. Like yeah. it is now not your home. Right. Within the moment you stepped in that door to like you leaving, yeah, it is it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, Jeff. You you're talking about your takeaway from the movie as like this beautiful thing that these characters are part of, and uh, I had a different takeaway. I mean, I, I don't think you're gonna. I mean, deny... it's horrible. It's horrible, but yeah, yes. yeah. I I don't think you're gonna deny what my takeaway is, but like you know, I think I think we left the movie with like pretty different. Uh, things that like like made a lasting impression on us, right? I would say yeah. the number one thing for me that made a lasting impression was that basically divorce is a process that will completely grind up the people. Like it, it has a yeah. life of its own, right? Like you, yeah. you will like you know take a take a like dip your toe in and be like, oh, let's just toy with like using a lawyer and you know serving these papers and so on. But once you are in it. You you actually cannot extricate yourself because right. uh, you know this this process this this monstrous machine uh, that you have been caught up in will now reach its logic like its own conclusion completely independent of your desires and uh, your you know what what you prefer to to yeah. have this turn out as and that's like because you know it's and so one point in the movie he's like well all the money i made from the macarthur genius award like i'm spending uh, like i'm going broke because i'm paying for a divorce you know like he yeah. realizes he has to do it in this way it's like a prisoner's mm -hmm. dilemma you know like you have to like the first person defects and it's like okay well you got an asshole lawyer now i need an asshole lawyer or else like i'm gonna get completely screwed and it's just like once you yeah. start engaging in it you cannot escape and that's like and it's so you know. it's so great how he goes to ray liotta first and he and we <laughs> as the audience go like fuck this guy yeah what an asshole you know, like, that guy's an asshole who is completely right yes from the word go <laughs> on yep. everything he says and then you get to Alan Alda, who are like, oh, cool. You know, he and we all say, oh, good. He found this sort of compassionate, decent human. And the decent human is on the same page, but just presents it in a different way. You know, he's just <laughs> he's just 
you know, sugarcoating the awfulness as well, you know, and, and it's, that's almost worse because he's not approaching the process clear eyed. Right. It's, uh, it, it is, it is a real, yes, it is a real harrowing view into the American legal system. I don't think it's limited to just divorce, <laughs> uh, but it is also, yeah, I, I also came away with the fact of like, you never want to get divorced. But well, if, if you, you know, were going to get divorced, don't do it in this way. I would say. I don't even I know. Mean, the movie it, seems to say there's no right way. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't, if you try to do good, like it all, it all kind of. Falls I don't know. Apart I don't know if I agree with that point. because I think that like the way they were at, the way they were going to approach it was mediation. That was like originally yeah, what yeah, led yeah. to the letters being written, and it, yeah. it like, and you know this goes to like a big question that a lot of people have been talking about is like. Do we feel like the movie comes down on one character's side or the other, right? And I, I don't, I don't have a firm answer for that. What I, what I do see is that the person who is most monstrous on screen is Scarlett Johansson's character, right? In well, my I disagree, hundred percent. Yeah, Inter- interesting, because because I'm, I'm saying on screen, like during the course of the uh, the events of the film itself. I'm not sure, saying sure. I'm not dis- saying everything leading up to the film. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. my interpretation, we, we have not seen the past ten years. Correct, of your correct. And, and like my long. interpretation right. is yeah. like Adam Driver has been like the the wrong one in everything that happened before the movie began, and that like okay. once the movie begins, though it is Scarlett Johansson who like escalates it by refusing to see the mediator and so on. Right. Um, that's just my own interpretation, but that like yeah, she's yeah. doing so in an extremely reasonable fashion because she feels that she has been wronged as she explains so eloquently well, in that brilliant monologue, right? The, in it's not only moment. that, it's, it's, it's not only that she has been wronged up to that moment. I think the only way that you see her as monstrous is if you don't see that he is continuing to completely ignore her throughout the whole process. Yeah. He has decided how it's going to be. And thinks that the way he decided it was going to be is the way it's going to be and doesn't, you know, he decided that they live in New York. Right. And that's his decision. And her entire point is that you, I want to live here with my son right now. Mm -hmm. And that you, you have never heard me that, that I want that you have never understood that I want that. And you don't now. So I, I think that, I don't know. I came away I mean, he's a very, they're both very sympathetic. I don't, I don't find them. I think the word monstrous is, is a a bridge too far for me, but they both, uh, they both, and they both do things to each other that are, um, unkind to say the least, uh, and, and underhanded perhaps as well. But man, I, I come out really on her side. I mean, I think the movie has the most, uh, hope for her. Like this is it. I think it is true. What Laura Dern tells her that this is a, an act of hope for her. It is her finally actualizing. It's her finally being a person instead of just being an accessory to someone else. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like she, she's the one who also, they talk about winning a lot in a really like basic way in this movie. And I guess to divorce lawyers, that is how they have to think. Um, but who gains the most in this situation in the split up it is it is nicole it is like her finding her own footing being somewhere where she really wants to be and life is going to be harder for charlie but maybe you know life was very easy for him before that because he was able to like subjugate his wife 
into you know following everything he wanted so it is even even after like even after they start the, the divorce like it is not great that she didn't want to do the mediation but that whole mediation thing was like the mediator being very on board with charlie like it's very easy to think like oh you're against me so now you two are teaming up with me or against me in this whole process it it you know, I feel like these characters act emotionally in very realistic ways. They don't act rationally all the time, but no, nobody does. That's not how people operate. I think that the mediator just wanted them to write those lists for yes. him to poop yeah. on. <laughs> uh, okay. Very so nice. I'm very just nice. going to, you know, I, I, I feel I've tried to articulate myself. Uh, I'm going to bring someone else into the mix. Um this is like uh, from Tasha Robinson's Twitter account, who like I, I completely agree with this assessment. She says their narrative around who's at fault and who's more villainized and marriage story has been interesting. For my two cents worth, I felt Nicole came across as clearly less sympathetic and more at fault, and I'm surprised at people who found the film even-handed. Marriage Story does clearly care about Nicole's concerns and emotions and finds a lot to critique in Charlie's selfishness and obliviousness and the way he bends her needs around his own, but she's the one who keeps escalating and it's an outsized punishment for what he did. Nicole's the one who brings a cutthroat, winning-obsessed lawyer into what was meant to be a painless, lawyerless separation. She's the one who repeatedly changes plans around childcare, then acts as if Charlie's being irrational for expecting her to stick to stated plans. Nicole is repeatedly blithe or oblivious about the huge sacrifices Charlie's making and trying to accommodate her a parallel to the sacrifices she made to accommodate him but we see virtually none of those on screen we just hear about them in retrospect which is unbalancing end quote anyway she goes on but i i this is that's the kind of assessment that i was like yeah when i read that assessment i'm like yes i I completely agree charlie may have been the one that was more of an asshole (laughs) before the movie began and he certainly was uh an asshole to some extent during the course of the film for sure like I, i agree with you like uh during the course of the movie like there's moments of lack of self-awareness jeff you know there's that moment when they're talking with a lawyer and it's like why is it that when like we like when uh uh you mentioned we might go to la it's like a discussion but when she says it it's a promise you know like and he's not even realizing like what he's doing in the moment and i found that those to be like very revelatory Mm -hmm. so for sure he does not acquit himself well it's not like he's like you know, yeah. white knight during the course of the movie or not. But he, like, he I also, think he, he also, uh, completely, uh, everything she says about him as a father is accurate. And sure. in the course yeah. of the film, not just leading up to the film, but in the course of the film, we see him, uh, being very selfish and self-absorbed in the caring of his son mm-hmm. and, and, you know, coming, coming into LA and basically ignoring his kid while he's there because he's so obsessed with work, but still wanting to get credit for it. It, it is, I I really couldn't disagree with Tasha. I, I respect her greatly, but I couldn't disagree with that more. That's just not the movie I felt like I saw. I, I think, uh, you know, she certainly ramps things up, but it is, it, it, she, you know, it, it, she gives him a heads up at almost every time she wow. can. Uh, and he a, completely... Yeah. Yeah, ignores sorry. it. Yeah. He yeah. Can, you know, he he's absent. He doesn't he doesn't pay her any mind. And it only it is only when things become, you know, in his, smacked into his face that he yeah. actually realizes, oh, this is real and this is a thing. Like it's yeah, there's a certain level of privilege to the way he treats everything as being unreal. Like even after he gets served, it's like a full month goes by and you don't you don't do anything about that. Like beyond like seeing the Ray Liotta lawyer, like it, it seemed like I, I, I know people like this. I know very, you know, smart 
uh, creatives who are so focused on their work that everything else just kind of takes care of itself, hopefully. And a lot of that is dependent on their partner to kind of keep their life together. Um, I, to what Tasha, that, that statement, like I could see, you know, that point of view, I could certainly see why you guys feel that way. But to me, it's like, first of all, um, Laura Dern's character is not, she is not like just an asshole divorce lawyer. Like the way she, she like weaves the spell around Nicole that is kind of fascinating. Like you can see in her office that she's very, she's doing very well. Clearly she's very successful, but she also like from the moment she sees how like wounded Nicole is, she kicks off her shoes. She sits down on the couch with her. And it becomes like a very tender, like girlfriend experience almost where she's actively listening to her. So I, I think like at the end of the day, she is oh. a bit of a shark. Like that whole, that whole reveal, that whole reveal, by the way, of like, oh yeah, we got one more day with Charlie. You won. Right. That is that to me is the core of her character is like she's very nice. Like she will speak very nice to you and listen and be empathetic. But at the end of the day, she is also as much of a shark as like Ray Liotta's character is. Yes, and I, I they mean, just go about it in different ways. But you, I don't think I don't think like a character who had no power in her life going to somebody like that, uh, who's actually listening to her and who may actually have a plan for her to like get her life back on track. Like, I, I don't blame her for that, honestly. Well, yeah. I, I think, you know. I mean, suffice to say, we don't need to get too much more into it, but I disagree with a hundred percent of everything you're saying right now. I mean, uh, the part about the part about <laughs> her being like ten- the part her the part about her being like you know this being a tender girlfriend experience. Agreed, she certainly has a much better. Uh, ex- like uh, Scarlett Johansson's character certainly has a much better experience uh, at the lawyer's office, but th- it, I never lost the sense that this is just a person who's doing their job. And right, right, right. Being but extremely, you, you didn't as being, the viewer. Being extremely I, manipulative and good at motivation. it. Um, yeah, I'm talking about character motivation here and like a wounded character like Nicole, like looking for some sort of like just to fix this situation so, so that she can move on with her life in a way that helps her. Like to me, that made sense. That's all. I'm not like, I'm not saying like it is the right thing to do, but it it made sense on a human level. I yeah, think if we're defining monstrousness, the, to the, me, uh, wrong term. Go ahead, wrong go term, ahead. Jeff. Wrong term. Okay. Okay. Well, Mo- monstrous is too extreme. But like, yeah. So I'm saying I'm saying like I I retract that term, but I think she is clearly the aggressor. She drops like a nuclear bomb into the situation but when Dave, like the, a bazooka the, the, would the, the, be sufficient. Um, I mean, that's just that's just my opinion. Like, I I don't know. I mean, the, well, here, in her here, mind, here, this is World War Two, right? The, the, in her, the, she's like, I gotta, reason, I gotta. End the only reason that you 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 believe that is because you take the data as given by him. You take the data that I mean, she the entire premise for the divorce is I want to move to L.A. and and have a life. I want to move to L.A. and have a life, and I want to bring my kid with me. And the entire beginning of the divorce is him going, "You're moving back to L.A., right?" And she's like, "I told you a hundred times, I'm not moving back to L. I'm not New moving York, back to New York. New York. I'm not moving back to New York." I want, I, this is what I want to do and him going, yeah, but we live in New York. And that is the, the, I think that is the key. If if you look at this through a prism of, yeah, I agree with him that they lived in New York. Then she seems like, then then she seems like a, she's using a bazooka. If you, if you accept the fact that she has every right to have a life in LA to make that decision, then he is the monstrous one because every step of the way he is not listening, not not uh, uh, not doing the very basic things he would need to do to let that happen. Not uh, you know not taking care of his kid, not paying attention to either of those people in his family. Like 
you know, it, it may seem like a bazooka to his life, but it's because it's his life. She didn't have one. She's trying to begin one. All right. All right, Jeff. I mean, I, I've, I've already acknowledged your point and I disagree. I, I think we're just, you know, we fundamentally see, it seems like we saw two different films and that's okay. You know, like we, we often have different opinions on things. I'm just talking about what was on screen during the course of this movie, I'm not talking about all the stuff that happened before then. I'm also talking yeah, about what's I know, on I know, but like, hey, movie. we, the, we what, disagree. This movie, the, There's the, other the, interesting things to talk about, I think. So, I know, like, I just want to say, I, I'm not, all right. don't get upset. This is what I'm, we're doing, I'm not we're upset, dude. I'm not upset. The, 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 I think, for me, the thesis of this movie, and the reason it is a movie about hope, and it is explicitly stated in the text, is it is about a woman finally finding herself finally becoming a person and that it's like the end of this movie is happiness and him finally going oh i'm going to move out here and support the fact that we can have a family out here for a while like by the way she, by the way great great little character beat in that scene because she's like she blinks at the news it was like, oh, I'm happy for you, but also fuck you because uh, I, I wanted something like that. It, it, there is there's a sense of like competitiveness in how she receives that news too. Uh, oh, it's that's, that's it's not really how I interesting. That that's not how I took that moment at all. Um, okay, it's fine. It's I, fine. It's no, okay to have different interpretations. No, I'm just I was laying gonna, this out there. I, I I I actually think I'm I'm taking it more extreme than you, Devendra. But I'll I'll share my point, Jeff. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. You can finish. No, I'm finished. Okay. Well, I was, was going to say, Devendra, wait, you know wait, wait, wait. Give, give, give me a second. Like, I, I do think like that moment, that moment between two creatives, like she is, she is now working. She has a job. She's built a life of her own. And he comes in and is like, first of all, it's good news that he's coming back to LA, but he's doing it in a way that I was like, there, there is like a level in terms of like how well they're doing. And now they're not in one relationship. So his success is now in some way takes away from her success. Like I just found that really interesting. And it's a great beat to have in the movie because it's like a half a second look. It is not even that much. But to me, that was, that was a really fascinating way to portray these people who still care about each other, but are now like competing in some respects too. Uh, so I had a completely different takeaway from that scene, which is actually, um, I'm going to spoil the movie Boyhood. I think we've all talked about that movie on here, right? Um, yeah. So at the end of Boyhood, basically like, in the movie Boyhood, Ethan Hawke is like this deadbeat dad, right? And he kind of like doesn't show up for his son and whatever. And then towards the end of the movie, he says he gives this monologue about how like so much about like, like he becomes like a responsible person during the course of the movie. During the course of like a decade in this person's life, Ethan Hawke's character becomes uh, a you know better father. He gets married. He straightens out. He like becomes like a business person. And he says um, to his son, like, so much is about timing, you know, like, take me, for instance, I probably turned out roughly about the same, like something like what your mom would have actually appreciated and liked, but it didn't happen in the right time frame for that to, to, to work out. And that's the moment I was reminded of at the end of this film when he says like, Hey, by the way, I took a job in LA and yep. it wasn't like a com competition of like, you're an artist, I'm an artist. It was like, this is the thing I have been wanting for the entire like last 10 years. You know, like yeah. this um, thing that you I, just I think did. It's that too, by the way, Dave, the thing you're saying, it yeah. is that it is that, but it is also like, Oh, well that's nice. 
it would have been nice if we did this, you know, when right? We like, couldn't this? Like, could we have done this like five years ago? We could have avoided this yeah. entire horrifying process in our lives if we had just done this thing. And yeah, but also, uh, the only way you get to him doing that thing is by her forcing it to happen. Is by her actualizing and saying, "I'm, I deserve to be a person." And the mm-hmm. only way he'll hear that through the whole movie, he doesn't hear that ever. The only way he hears it is when lawyers tell him it, it, it. And and that's, I think that's the real tragedy is that it takes her like the, the mediation thing. There's no universe in which the mediation thing works for these people because he's so self-absorbed and so closed to even hearing who she is and what she wants. Like the idea that she's blowing up the mediation because she's such a bitch and, you know, and, and, you know, just doesn't want to read her letter to me, I, I think misses what the movie is actually saying, which is like, that's the reason they're getting married, divorced is because mm-hmm. this kind of shit doesn't work. All right. Uh, well, any other thoughts on marriage story before we wrap it up, get to our next review. I just want to say that the moment at the very end or the, not the very, very end, but the moment before the very end, the child reading the list while wildly improbable and contrived <laughs> i found to be utterly beautiful and moved me to tears i mean the Adam idea driver in that moment his like chin quiver is just uh, like man man uh, it's, it's uh, a good chin uh, good chin i think all the wrap-up scenes of this movie are also kind of fantastic too because it puts nicole in a place of like oh she is you know she's there she's surrounded by all these people who love and support her uh things are going great charlie has a lot to work through he is singing sad sondheim songs uh you know for karaoke and it is uh it is you know it's it's rough it's rough but it's understandable what he's going through and then he shows up and they do the halloween thing and she has a new guy and it just feels like well life moves on it kind of reminds me of uh parenthood in that way both the show and the movie this is an interesting year for Sondheim. There's been three <laughs> hit movies this year that have featured Sondheim. Uh, at least three, I think. I think I'm thinking of uh, Joker, which is like the most implausible one, uh, okay. Knives Out, and this movie. A lot of uh, I lot have of to say, this is one of those things too that reminds me that I just have this huge like cultural black hole that I'll never fill because I don't I don't have any love for like I hear these things and they're fine, but I don't have any like nostalgia or love for Sondheim or a lot of the stage music. So when people were flipping out over the karaoke scene, cause that was all over Twitter. I was like, okay, I've never heard the song before, but I guess this is nice. This is a nice character moment. That's nice. I mean, it's a, it's beautifully performed and done yeah, in one yeah. take. And it's like, uh, you know, the fact that the, the camera just sits on him there and forces him to do it. And like, he almost quits at a, a moment and then comes back and it's, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. I, there, there's also it. nothing as awkward as sad karaoke, man. <laughs> yeah. That is everybody in that room, especially the people who aren't his friends. Cause it's like an open restaurant, I guess. So man. So Dave, did you not care for this film? No, I thought it was brilliant. It's like one of my yeah. top 10 movies of the year. I thought it was good. Yeah, Jeff, we, sure. we strongly disagree about one key component of the movie, but I still think it's great. And I recommended it when I, uh, uh, when I talked about it on, on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So cool. I will say one other thing about it, actually. You know, it's one thing that, you know, like how we all have like little things that like uh, tickles your fancy or that you're, you're like whenever you see it in the movie, you're like, oh, like that, that thing really kind of touches me. Um, the one thing that I like 
am always a sucker for is like couples like knowing one person in the couple like knowing like preferences of the other person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like in real life, like that always gets me. I'm always like, whenever I see that, I'm always like, oh, like that's so sweet that they. Yeah, they, he'll he'll stuff. have the. He'll have this salad. Yeah, when he's like, I yeah. can't decide what I want to eat, and then she's like, Okay, yeah. he'll have the salad, hold the dressing, and da 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 da. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like such a such an amazing touch about mm-hmm. how that shows you how intimate that relationship was, um, and like how you kind of you kind of like farm off components of your life to another person when you're married to them, right? You're like, oh, yeah. the thing about ordering the food. Like that, this person's gonna like take that, take control of that for me, and that's completely fine. And, um, and yeah. I, I would have never thought that up. I, you know, it feels like something that must have happened in real life, but I would have never thought that oh, up. Yeah. Like, oh, they're gonna be in the lawyer's office arguing strenuously, and then they're gonna order lunch, and through the lunch ordering, that's when you learn how close they are. You know, like I would well, just like that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That whole scene is great because it's not just <laughs> it's it's the lawyers too, where they're like. Fuck you, fuck you, my client, fuck you, my client. And then like, like okay. lunch? time, oh, time yeah. out, time out. Yeah, yeah it's like, Let's I have, have a family, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's a very simple conversation. Great. That- yeah, it's, it's just a game for them, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. Just- it's also true. You see that also when Ray Liotta's character and Laura Dern's character, like, interact outside the courtroom for a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, I saw your wife at the blah. And, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, this is just a job for them. You know, like, yeah, these people's lives be. are being destroyed. And, like, it's just like they're going to work. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. a, the day job, you know. Yeah. Um, so I love those kind of, like, little touches that help to make this movie what it is. Um, and just wanted to call that out before I wrap it up. So the movie's marriage story, it's brilliant. And I think the fact that we had such... Different opinion, you know. Victor Di Giovanni in the chat room is saying like it's Schrodinger's marriage, you know. <laughs> like and I think different people watch this; they bring uh, parts of themselves when to, you know to the viewing of this film, and they come away with. Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear they come away with pretty vastly different interpretations of like who is in the right, who is in the wrong, even what the movie is trying to say about it. And I would say that in general is a mark of a really brilliant piece of art. So um, that's Marriage Story. It's on Netflix. Let's move on to the next review we have to talk about. It's Uncut Gems. I made a crazy risk, a gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Howard. Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. That was from the trailer for Uncut Gems, the newest film by the Safdie brothers, Benny and Josh Safdie. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A charismatic New York City jeweler, always on the lookout for the next big score, makes a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Now, Devendra, you know, you and I are big fans of the Safety Safety Brothers' previous film, Good Time. 
which I thought I, was... I will say I, I've become less of a fan of that movie over time, but I did enjoy it huh. initially. Interesting. I thought it was brilliant at the time as not only a great thriller, but uh, a great social commentary about white privilege. And uh, I, I think it's a, a, a brilliant film. Mm-hmm. And it ha- stars a, a, has an amazing performance by Robert Pattinson. But in any case, I think you were really kind of the driving force. You're like, let's. I really want to review Uncut Gems. So yes. I'm curious. Like, we got to review this. Why? Why was your? What was your fascination with this movie? And did this movie live up to your expectations? Well, also because people wouldn't shut shut the hell up about this movie. Like this movie was getting so much buzz. I love Sandler in dramatic mode. Like Sandler using that like nervous energy he has like in a way like almost like, uh, like punch drunk love but this is in a totally different direction so i love this movie i think it is um I, I think it's just a more accomplished movie than even good time where i liked good time but it also felt like a light version of a very scorsese-esque thing whereas this feels very different right this this takes into the world of like new york city jewelers the people you pass when you're walking through the diamond district and the sort of like crazy lives they live like the what they're selling who they're selling to his energy uh am sandler is just infectious in this movie and this energy is basically loud new yorkers shouting each other like most of this movie is just shouting it, it is like a robert altman the movie most shouting uh, in, in a movie in 2019 yes. for sure it, it is the most shouting it is robert altman done in the style of everybody shouting at the same time and uh <laughs> man it is it is yeah it is like anxiety inducing it's hard to watch but it's also like so new york like when i hang out with like my new york family and it's a very new york thing i think like the way a lot of the expression is shouting all the time even if you're not talking about like gambling and sports and legal things uh i think this movie is just of a place um and the character itself is fascinating um am sandler's character is clearly a gambling addict, clearly like uh, an adrenaline junkie in a certain way. Like it is just wild seeing this guy go and clearly he's smart and he makes some smart moves, but he is so, he's so self-destructive. Like he cannot, he cannot let a win be a win. Like he will always try to play it further uh, (laughs) and ultimately make things worse. So I love this movie. It is, it is the nervous energy coming out of this movie is unlike anything I've seen this year. Jeff Kanata. Thoughts on Uncut Gems? Well, Dave, (laughs) I guess you could say my thoughts on Uncut Gems are best summed up in the form of a limerick. This film puts me in a state of greatly elevated heart rate. (laughs) It's wild to witness someone live like this, just constantly spinning more plates. Nice. I don't know how many people are familiar with that old uh, that old chestnut, that old vaudevillian uh-huh, yes. routine of the plate spinner. Yep, uh, it has become a cliche, but it was based on an old act uh, where uh, a performer would take big long sticks and put plates on them and spin them, and the and the sticks would be balanced, and the plates would be balanced on the sticks, and because of the centrifugal force of the plate. They would stay, as long as the plate kept spinning, it would stay balanced on the end of the stick. And then the performer would have numerous sticks. And the the thrill of the audience would be to watch a, a plate start to wobble, wobble, and lose its momentum. And the performer would have to run over and spin one of the plates. And then another one would wobble, and you run back over and spin that, and just try to keep all of them going uh, as long as possible. That's this movie, in a nutshell. And it is an incredible ride. It is an incredible ride. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything quite like this. 
It is you're strapped to the back of this guy <laughs> while he like, just might as well be a GoPro. Yeah. Yes. While he just <laughs> goes through the kind of life that I find so unlivable. I, th- this is the antithesis of everything I want out of my life. It is. And, and you're right. Devendra, he's addicted to it and on, on every level uh, that stealing from Peter to pay Paul that, you know, every moment he gets something, he risks it for something else, for something greater. He's constantly bombarded on all sides from of promises he's made to one person that he has to fulfill to somebody else. It is harrowing and thrilling and fun and a, a vicarious look at these people who I assume exist. I assume this is a, a thing. Oh, yeah. These are people. These are people that are like this. Uh, not just in the jewelry business, but just like all over the planet that just can, you know, pay off one credit card with another one or, you know, these things that are just, I can't live like that. I would just melt into a puddle of anxiety. Uh, But it is wildly fun to watch a movie about it. And Sandler is great. It's sort of proof that he can still be great when he, when he has the material to do it with. Um, Dave, in the last review we did this episode you brought up production design i think this movie is a masterwork of production design so much just communicated without ever pointing at it just in the the kinds of apartments we go into the kinds of houses the jewelry district itself the uh, the offices of those places what stuff is working what stuff is not working when we walk into his son's room and he's got memorabilia wall to wall inside there. <laughs> it's just, it's communicates so much with so little. Uh, I, I love this movie. I think Kevin Garnett gives a great performance. Like who knew, who knew, but I assume Dave, I assume based on your words last week about the Irishman that you are angry at this movie because of the lies it is telling about a real <laughs> event in our history. Uh, no, I assume that you are, Uh, (laughs) you are furious that it is taking a real event with real people and trying to claim that there was some magic powers at play. And, uh, I mean, I think you're you're Josh me. I think you're Josh me, Jeff, but I see the marriage story review is carrying over into this review. Uh, (laughs) parents, please don't fight. fight. (laughs) Um, no, Jeff, that, that did not bother me. In fact, I thought it was actually quite brilliant how they integrated Huh, uh, the integrated real life event into this story. Huh. So it's impossible to do something based on history and have but, it not. But the so protagonist. Close to the truth. Okay, but the protagonist is not a real person in this hmm. movie. Okay, so whatever point the movie is trying to make is made separate from the real life event. Sure, the real life events factor into it, but it is not the crux on which this movie hangs, um, in my opinion, at least. So that being Fair said. Enough. Point I just want to Jeff. twist the screws a little bit. <laughs> uh, we're going to be that court soon enough. It's going to be rough. So um, I, I really yeah. enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really well done. Um, and I, I think I think that the only thing that – everything you guys said is true. I agree 100 – unlike with our marriage story review, agree 100% with everything you're saying. I think that like – and also talking about the set dressing, I mean one of the things that I really love about the Safety Brothers movies is how they use lighting. Like 
there's always so much yeah. like fluorescent lights in, in their movies, and it always has this amazing character to it. Partially, mm-hmm. I think, due to the fact that uh, I believe this movie was shot on film, uh, and they they shoot their movies on film, and that's something that's rare. And there's there is a character to the image that. Uh, I think you wouldn't get it if this was like in pristine, you know, uh, digital imagery with no grain or anything like that. Um, and so I just love the look of it. I love the feel of it. There's this intensity to it. There's this crosstalk, as you guys have pointed out. Um, and there's this like kind of propulsive nature of is this person going to be able to manage this extremely <laughs> dangerous tightrope act, you know? There's all this suspense to it. I, so I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot. It's one of my favorite films of the year. It's so crazy, by mm-hmm. the way, that like in the first 10 and a half months of this year, I saw six movies that I'd feel comfortable putting in my like top 10. And in the last, you know, uh, two months. Six weeks. Oh, yeah. six weeks. I've seen like, you know, eight <laughs> movies that I've watched. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's just it's like weird. all the How amazing movies. It tends movies to be the case it. though, right? It tends, I mean, it's like, you know, awards season, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. A lot of really good yeah. movies come Generally, out. Generally, it's been, it has felt better paced to me though. Like in, in general, yeah. like, oh, there's been like one movie I saw in, you know, February that was amazing and one in, in, in March that was, you know, and so on. And like, but this year it's just like a bunch of It's been crap. a rough year for you, Dave. Yeah, it's been a rough year. And then like now like some really amazing riches. I think the only thing that I would say, and we we really should be in spoilers to get really into this, but I'll just hint at it right now. Uh-huh. I think the only thing I really don't that that's like keeps this movie from being like best of all time or whatever for me is just that I don't feel like it has that much to say beyond uh-huh. being like a really effective genre exercise. I think that that's how I felt about Good Time. Like after I started thinking about it, because I feel like we made a good argument for what that movie could be about in the you know in our review. But I never, I've revisited that movie. It just didn't leave me with as much of an impact. Whereas this one's like, I, I, I hear you. I don't think there's a greater message here. But this guy, like seeing this guy do this thing, we know so many people like him. It it feels like a singular story about an adrenaline junkie like this. And I don't know, the, the way we push yeah. ourselves in America, capitalism. Capitalism yeah, is bad. Late stage capitalism for sure. Late yeah. stage capitalism. Um, yeah, that you can throw that on anything. So go for that. My, my one thing that I didn't, not to change gears, we'll get, I want to talk about that more, but, uh, my one thing that I didn't like was the, I felt the score was just too oppressive. Mm. It just, it just, it, it made itself known. <laughs> you to, didn't need more shouting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's just, it, it's loud and, and, and it just, I, I mean, I like the music as music, but it, it just felt like. Can we turn that down for please? <laughs> this is just this is just Jeff uh, in your in your old age now. You're like I need, I need I need a break from this movie. It's yeah. need, need to relax. I, I kind of related to that too. Like they're everything feels oppressive in this movie, and even their like camera movements, even their style, like everything is just meant to like dis disarm you a little. Uh, I do find that one of the you know, this movie opens uh, with uh, miners finding this this chunk of like uncut uh opal and the camera zooms in and in and in it's like oh man are, are we finding something is there something meaningful about this and then it transitions to another to another scene and i feel like what it transitions to is hilarious and i don't i don't know if there's a deeper meaning to it but it feels like a big fuck you to the audience basically like oh you're you're just staring at this guy's uh something that yeah. is hilarious to me yeah well uh i before we get to spoilers i do want to just say i think pretty much every performance in here is awesome. 
Adam so Sandler yeah. is great as this as Howard Ratner, who's like he he is he addicted to the adrenaline, and like not only is he addicted to it, he has become inured to it. Like he it no longer creates any feeling for him anymore. It's just his way of living. Julia Fox, mm-hmm. this is her first movie. Uh, yeah, she, she's I believe, great. was an influencer before uh, she did this movie. And yeah, she's awesome. Uh, you can totally understand why uh, Howard would fall for this person. Much more difficult to understand why she would fall for Howard, but whatever she I sells I agree, it, dude. You know? I had that same thought. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what does she see in this <laughs> what dude? What does she see in this guy? Um, Adina yeah. Menzel playing uh, the anti-Frozen. You know, like she's she's definitely... Yeah, uh, she won't not, let it go. <laughs> she, she did not let it go. Uh, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield, like as a smooth operator, as Damani, loved him. And Eric Bogosian playing the opposite of the Gil Evis character he plays in Succession uh, as a extremely cutthroat hyper capitalist. Uh, every performance is awesome in this movie. Dude, just Kevin Garnett. You, yes, dude, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett has, has stuff to do in this movie. He's yeah. not just walk on, uh, you know, NBA. Uh, uh, you know, cameo. It's yeah. not. It's not. It's not just like, oh, there's a real NBA player in this. He has dramatic scenes that he needs to play, yeah. and he does it well. Yeah, yeah. I love. I love even the like tough guys that uh, Bogosian surrounds himself with. Like, uh, they look like they look like if I walk into a bar and those guys are like at the bar and they're the only ones there, I do a Grandpa Simpson and just go turn right around because <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't want any part of this. Yeah, oh, That's they're, New they're, York, yeah. baby. They're so great. Yeah. And uh, I'm so curious about how you conceive of this movie. Like, do you <laughs> first get your NBA star and then work backwards from there about... like? I believe how- the story is the Safdies, uh, they, their family worked in the Diamond District. Their father did. So a lot of these stories, like the insanity of it, I think they piece together a bunch of things. No, but I mean, I mean, do you first cast Kevin Garnett yeah. and then yeah, yeah. find <laughs> the games that work for, you know, like do you, do you fit pres- in the weekend to be in a particularly uh, not so great scene? I don't know. Well, no, but I mean, the, it, it, it's very, it yeah. hinges on the events of real NBA history. Yeah. So, yes. so do you like find out who you can get first and then like find out the games that would work best Based on, uh, you know, I don't know. I, so uh, according to an interview with Vulture, they originally designed the film around Kobe Bryant. And yeah. they also com- yeah. considered uh, Studemeyer and Joel Embiid. Uh, quote, yeah. it started with Studemeyer, who is a Knicks player in 2010. That's when we started the project. He's famously a black Jewish person. So the, so the themes of the movie presented themselves that way. Ethiopian Jewish tribe, Beta Israelites. Black opals, which were found by a Jewish tribe in the Beta Israelites and Wilo Mines. Uh, Amare is a very spiritual person. He calls himself the spiritual gangster. But about 2015, 2016, we were having trouble getting financing, finding the right person to star as Howard, and our agency suggested casting up and going with Kobe Bryant. But Kobe, they didn't understand the themes of the movie. He's a West Coast person. We needed East Coast games because we had to write (laughs) around the reality of the games. This is a very East Coast energy movie. Like I I think in particular, like Jeff, seeing you sit through this, I would love to be in a theater with you and just like... (laughs) There's nothing oh. California about this movie, man. No, not at all. I, but I loved it. I mean, but but th- that one <laughs> casting choice defines so much of the movie because it's like we got to yeah. drive to Philadelphia. We got to, you know, we got we got to. It, it sets the date. You know, the date comes up on this movie only because it has to be these right. games. It's so interesting to me how that all. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it forms like everything in the movie, like the technology. Yes. They're using like yes. old iPhones and stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, apparently, Studemeyer wouldn't shave his head to match the games that we had to shoot around. So then we were like, okay, who is left? And we looked, and Kevin Garnett, fate is a real thing. It was meant to be Kevin's role from the beginning, even though we hated him as Knicks fans, end quote. So, <laughs> His uh, name is Garnett. Come on. 
Come on. Yeah. Well, then they write that into the movie where even Adam yeah. Sandler's character is like, yeah. I'm yeah. rooting, you know, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm rooting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get the spoilers for Uncut Gems starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I think one of my favorite parts of this movie is when he hands him that, like, you know, this character is the architect of his own undoing, right? And, like, Uh at every step of the way, every step, he could do something that would lessen his name, right? This movie could be titled a series of very stupid decisions, you know? (laughs) Yes. Increasingly stupid decisions. They're so bad. Um but I think really when the movie starts to kind of unravel is when he gives the opal to Kevin Garnett and you're just like, oh, he's he's not he's like, never getting you, this back or he's not getting it yeah, back in the way he wants. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you do not let that out of your sight. Um, but he does. And then and then there's later that brilliant scene when he's like the bidding scene and he asks his friend to like bid for him and, and uh, it's just like incredible. His father-in-law. It's yeah. his father-in-law. Yes. Yes, and he's about to get a divorce. It's like it's just so, it's so great. But no, my I mean my favorite thing about that scene is like I'm gonna give you this opal. Like that is completely stupid. It's okay. I'll give you my ring as collateral. Okay, cool. Immediately walks <laughs> to the pawn shop. Immediately. Yeah. It is that level of chaos is is what is what is so vicariously fun for me about this movie chaotic that, evil it's chaotic evil yes right? and, and there's and, no moment of just going okay everything's fine it's <laughs> always got to be fucking myself you know and and i think there's like peaks and valleys to the anxiety it's like ne- you're never not action not anxious when watching this movie but there's peaks and valleys to it so when he turns in the ring and he's like, okay, if you don't come here by blank day, I'm keeping this ring. And like, I'm extremely anxious until he gets the ring back. Then, <laughs> yeah. then he gets the opal. Like Kevin Garnett just shows up with the opal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, ama- amazing. You should be kissing the ground right now. Yeah. And then uh, shows up with the ring and then he like gets the ring back. No, he's like, like oh where's the ring? Everything yeah. is going according to like, everything is looking up for uh, Howard. Right. And then this final sequence where he takes the money and bets it on Kevin Garnett. Uh, and it was excruciating. And I, I just have to say that, like, I watched this movie on a screener disc. And I had to, like, pause it and, like, walk away and come back. Because I was so stressed out during this, like, <laughs> final sequence of, like, the, where they're watching the game and you have no yep. idea what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Um. It, it just is like they're just trapped in the room, man. That is, <laughs> there are movies where you could predict what's you know how things are going to end up, and I feel like this movie ended in a way I predicted, but I did not expect that whole that whole torture situation. Basically, it was cool that they did it at Mohegan Sun. I've been to that place. I've been to Mohegan Sun, and it's it is a yeah. brilliant uh, casino. Um. But I, that whole final sequence was super brilliant, and they're like it it kept me guessing until the last minute. As to what was going to happen, right? Uh, I mean, the, the moment when the rich guy who's hitting on Julia Fox like goes up and picks up the money, I'm like, oh my gosh, did he subdue her? And like, he's taking yeah. the money for himself, you know? Like, and I, let me ask you guys this question: In your head canon, like in your mind's version of events, does she get away, or is she captured by this uh, extremely violent thug that murders Howard and his uh, his brother-in-law? 
No, I, I, would I hope... think she's the hero. I think she's the yeah. hero of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope like once she realizes what happens, because she will hear the news at some point. She's like, I should not go anywhere <laughs> where, you know, I don't never going yeah. back to that apartment. Like, just go disappear. Just, this, yeah. Van- become a ghost. Vanish into the night. Yeah. I love can we come by a the ghost, way there's one of six underground and then you will <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> interview magazine, by the way, has uh, has an interview with uncut gems, handsome older man. His name is Wayne Diamond. He is like an East Coast <laughs> character. He is. This is who he is. That character he plays in the movie is who he is. It's amazing. I mean, I uh, go check that out. Yeah. I don't know how it couldn't be. Um, my, I, I was much more. The, the the roller coaster ride for me was the first time he does the bet on Garnett. Uh, and he wins and then gets abducted yeah. by, he, he, you know, by Eric Bogosian. And then he finds out you didn't place the, you, you canceled the bet. Yeah. You canceled. To me, that was like, painful. Oh painful. man. <laughs> oh, cause he's, you know, he's gotten everything he wanted in that situation. Like it's all perfectly lined up. He did it. He put his balls on the table. He did it, and it's like the guy canceled the bet. So I found that uh, excruciating, Jeff, for sure. When I watched it, like, oh my gosh, what a terrible loss! But then, as the movie continues, you realize, man, if he had gotten, if he had gotten that money, he just would have wasted it somehow anyway. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah. it, this, yeah. the cycle would have kept going yeah. until his end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the moment that I did not, I was not surprised by the gunshot to the head. I yeah. really wasn't. I just felt like if the movie didn't do that, I would have been surprised because it. it like you don't lock those dudes in that room for that long. They're not going to come out and be like, "Well, I guess you got the money. It's all good," you know. <laughs> I think, um, honestly, the uh, I'm curious. I want to ask you guys what you think about this. Like, there are a couple sections in the movie where characters stare intensely into the opal, and the it go, like zooms into this opal and it becomes like nebula. And you know, Devinder, you yeah. point out like it then becomes like Howard's uh, colon, right? But I'm curious, like, what you guys make of that. Like, my interpretation of, like, why the movie is showing you all this is that, that, like, it reminds me of a movie I was involved with, The Primary Instinct, with Stephen Tobolowsky. And he says, in the movie, he's like, what mankind desires more than anything else is transcendence. And Mm -hmm. uh, that they they will pursue transcendence through any means necessary. And in the case of Howard, it's through nonstop adrenaline. But, like, that the opal, like, represents somehow, like, having the opal... Being in control of the opal represents like uh, yeah. transcending what humankind is is typically capable of. I don't know what it's, you're. It's kind of it's an know. ancient, impossible thing, you know, having holding something like that and being able to see inside it. You're seeing history itself. So yeah, I can I can understand that. Like to me, I, that I enjoy uh, visiting you know museums and staring at minerals for the same reason. Yeah, I mean, if if the movie is about anything, I think it's about that monologue that. Uh, Adam Sandler gives to Kevin Garnett where he explicitly says, this is me. This is my game seven. This is, this is what I do that you try try to drop 30 on the opponent and get in the zone and feel alive. This is how I do it. I try to win this, you know, I try to manipulate this and this is my NBA finals. And I think, you know, if you're talking about transcendence, that's, I think that's that character and I and I think this is the movie's attempt. Those those shots are the movie's attempt to talk to address exactly what you're saying, David, at the beginning of your review, which is it's trying to be about something, right? It's trying to link this micro series of events to a sort of grander macro cosmic thing 
of why are we all here? What are we all doing? How, you know, we're just a, a speck of dust in an infinite cosmos. I, you know, this hustle, this hustle is so, it's so micro. It is so about all of these little hyper important <laughs> details. And ultimately it doesn't matter. You know, I don't know. That's kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great interpretation, Jeff. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that, that that's, that's what that could be about. I, I don't know. Like I've read this like pretty uh, withering review of the, of the movie. That's like, Hey, you watch the movie. It's about this guy, this dumb guy doing stupid things and shocker, the stupid things lead to his demise. You know, like, like we, we kind of know where this is heading from the beginning and the movie does little to surprise you. It's just exceptionally what? well executed. But that's, you know, uh, there's a ton of that's that's my favorite yeah. genre, one of my favorite genres. I mean, a simple plan comes to mind. Um, Judgment Night comes to mind. I bring that movie <laughs> ever. That most Coen Brothers movies, like yes. you know, a, lot, a lot of things. Yeah, that's a, one of my favorite the yeah, favorite genres, yeah, yeah. subgenres. And, and is let like, me be clear. Let me be clear. I don't I don't agree with that. You know, I don't agree with that point of view. But I'm like, I kind of when I read that review, I'm like, I kind of see what you're talking about. I still really love the movie. You know, you know it, what like, that, you know what that also is what Macbeth. <laughs> and, and Coriolanus and yeah, you know yeah. and Romeo and Juliet <laughs> you know that's that's you know that's uh that's uh, there's a lot of movie there's a lot of uh, great drama that's about people making increasingly stupid decisions that lead to their demise yeah but they're <laughs> they're done so with a plum and uh, yeah. that's why we love them all right anyway i think that should bring us to the end of our review of uncut gems it's out in limited release right now. It did crazy on the uh, independent box office circuit. It did like $100,000 per theater, I think, which is like really, really good. Um, I think a record for A24. So check it out if I you have a chance. I had to drive to go see it. I had to drive. I couldn't walk. Couldn't oh, walk man. across the street. I had to drive. But when I got there, packed. Oh, packed wow. House. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Yeah, same. Well, uh, stay tuned to what we'll be discussing next week on the podcast. In the meantime, uh, find more episodes of the show at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper is from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Until next week, gentlemen, Jeff, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts or by visiting 5by5.tv slash DLC. I also do a live play Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Uh, last week's episode, people are talking about being the best one we've ever done. It was an edge-of-your-seat thrill ride, characters in peril, a crazy battle with a blood monster. It was wild werewolves. It was amazing. Check it out. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can also find it as an audio podcast, which is it's a great way to experience the show, uh, by searching for The Dungeon Run anywhere you get podcasts. Or you can watch it live Wednesday nights when we record it at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. How about you, Devendra? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com, and I'm also hosting the Engadget podcast there. So go check that out. I'm doing a show where I talk with interesting people every week. It's called Culturally Relevant. Check it out on Apple Podcasts or culturallyrelevantshow.com. Now, next week, uh, we are going to be reviewing Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And I will just say this. No promises. But if you are an ultra fan 
of The Rise of Skywalker, if you're one of those people that like bought tickets opening night, you may be rewarded with something cool in your feed on Friday morning on the Slash Filmcast. Um, and when I say something cool, I don't mean like anything beyond the scope of what we typically do here on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I mean, don't expect something actually cool. I'm just saying... It's our review. It's our review. It might be our review. <laughs> I'm just saying check the feed on Friday morning is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay? We didn't get J.J. Abrams or anything, so don't you know? Don't get too excited. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, we did just get Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty uh, great. So check, check that out. That was a good one. So. <laughs> he made a Star Wars movie. <laughs> he made a Star Wars film. <laughs> I mean, that's not the movie we talked about, but... No, no, no. But, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> all right. See you guys very soon. We watched the movies. <laughs>